Hello and welcome to the Mumshon podcast with me, Helen Gatt. This is a podcast that aims to raise awareness for health and fitness for birthing people by creating space for discussion, expression, connection and education. So in this episode, we've got a guest with us. We've got Nicola Morris. Uh, Nicola is a, currently a postnatal programming client of mine, um, but she's also um, quite familiar with the, the women's healthcare and the fitness uh, world. And she's going to talk to us a bit about her story, her experiences within women's healthcare, within um, obviously her pregnancy and her, her training um, and her postnatal recovery. So we should have a really fantastic conversation with Nicola. So hello, Nicola. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for joining me today um, for this conversation. Um, no. <laughs> I've been really looking forward to this uh, conversation. Um, Nicola's got some great perspectives on her experiences with, with, within women's healthcare. And what I'm going to do first of all is just hand over to Nicola. Um, so she tell us a little bit about herself, um, give us a a bit of a, a brief intro into who she is and her involvement in in the health and fitness world over you to you Nicola thanks Helen yep so I'm Nicola I'm 31 um, I'm from Wigan I'm first time mum to a little girl called Evelyn who's now 15 weeks old it's gone in the blink of an eye um, uh, yeah so I live in Wigan with my partner Chris um, I train at a box a CrossFit box called Sierra Lima which is just down the road in Lee um, I've been training CrossFit for ooh, about five years now um, and did my level one coaching last year, mainly with an aim to coach the kids and the teens. Um, prior to that, I was a qualified primary school teacher. So I've got like 10 years experience with primary school children. So that's sort of the avenue that coaching took me down, really. Um, absolutely loving it. Obviously, pregnancy um, and maternity has put a little bit of a pause on it all, but um, hoping to get back to it soon. Um, yeah, prior to CrossFit, really, I didn't do a great deal. I did martial arts all the way through growing up, but fitness wise in my 20s, I was pretty rubbish, to be honest, and only really found CrossFit in my mid 20s um, when I decided that I needed to stop drinking alcohol every weekend and eating <laughs> up. So, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Fab. Um, yeah, I totally feel that like mid 20s life crisis. <laughs> like, hang on a minute, this girl. <laughs> yeah, I've got to do something. Yeah, not yeah. a teenager anymore. These hangovers are hurting. Um, yeah. Probably get my life together. And then finding CrossFit and thinking, why did I not do this 10 years ago? Yeah. yeah. I think that's pretty much everybody's experience. Um, fab. So, obviously, you became um, pregnant. So, at the minute, we're in lockdown. Um, we, we had we've got the coronavirus lockdown um and you had your little girl just before lockdown yeah like two to three weeks before lockdown happened yeah wow okay was there anything kind of like underlying feeling in the hospital before all that happened were things um they were very cautious with visitors so um my partner was allowed in from the get-go that was absolutely fine um, and as my mum was already listed as a birthing partner as well, he was okay with her, but any other visitors, they were very iffy with who was coming in and out at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, um, speaking to like loads of women at the minute who either had their babies during lockdown or due to have their babies. And it's such a stressful time at the minute. And it's so, so sad that, um, we're just not getting the experience that we you know we should have even down to like partners coming to scans and things like that um yeah it's it's such a shame um so i really feel for for any new mums in this time on mums to be must be so stressful and 
a time when you just don't need that added stress at all do you yeah definitely and even things you say like scans that are actually very exciting but equally at the very beginning can be quite worrying as well until you know that everything's okay to not mm-hmm. have somebody with you is yeah it's a bit daunting isn't it so yeah absolutely i was thinking about that the other day in the um you know when you go for your 20 week anomaly scan and yeah. that's when you find out is everything okay um imagine going to that by yourself and then finding out that it's not and then having to come home and relay that information yeah. to your partner yeah, yeah it's it's not um i know there is a petition actually out at the minute which i'll feature probably in another episode about um allowing both partners and, and partners to be more of a part of the process yeah. within lockdown because it's it's such an important time anyway back to you (laughs) back to you so um so before you became pregnant um obviously you experienced um some i want to say access to women's healthcare. (laughs) um you had quite yeah quite a journey with your health um are Mm -hmm. you are you um okay just to run us through um how that looked and and what actually you it, it was that you went through yeah of course so um all my ad- well my childhood and adult life really been very healthy very well no no health concerns either with me or in the immediate family um and then the summer of 2018 um i had just handed my notice in actually um at my my the teaching job that i was at i'd sort of just fell out of love with it a bit and um, was a bit disengaged and i decided to that i wanted to go, move abroad and teach instead to give that a go before i decided to give up completely and so summer of 2018 I was coming to the end of my last term in school and I just started to feel really really rubbish like really lethargic Um, and I just couldn't put my finger on what was wrong with me and then to be honest I thought it was maybe not as serious as but a bit of depression um, because I wasn't happy in my job Uh, tried to plug on through but then ended up getting getting wrote off work um sick and then other things followed from there like my my eating was all out of whack and at this point I'd been very very good with my diet for a long time but I was suddenly starting to get bloated really easily um couldn't shift that Uh, and then I ended up backwards and forwards to the doctors over a period of months with what they thought was water infections and serious constipation um this just went on back and forth, back and forth for the entire summer. And then four days before I was due to fly to Abu Dhabi to my new teaching job, um, I woke up with severe abdominal pain. Um, and my partner, Chris, said, you just need to go to the walk-in. The, the GP has obviously not, not been able to nail on the head what is going on here. You can't fly to Abu Dhabi not knowing what, what's wrong. Um, go to the walk-in centre. So I did, luckily. Um, and they sent me straight over to the surgical ward at Whiston Hospital. Uh, basically, they they'd seen that my entire bowels were, were seriously um, impacted and they needed to find out why. So I spent a few days, they were just trying to basically get it out of me. So I spent a few days on various medication trying to oh, get rid of that. It didn't, didn't shift. Um, ended up having loads of different scans and blood tests. Um, and in the end, uh, a lovely lady consultant oncologist came to me and said your ca125 is is raised now obviously at the time i was like what's that um it's basically your cancer marker in your blood um it can be down to other things um but it it's one of the the signs of ovarian cancer um so with that they sent me down for a ct scan and the ct scan revealed a huge tumor 
um, in my abdomen and pelvic region. And yeah, I was just whipped in for surgery the next day. Um, it, when they took it out, it was 30 centimetres by 24 centimetres. Oh my gosh. It covered my entire abdominal region. Wow. Um, and obviously had just been squishing all my organs, which was why I was on the loo for a wee every two yeah. seconds. Or, yeah, like nothing was working in there anymore. Um, luckily, it hadn't burst until they went in there to, to remove it. It burst during surgery, but not before. Um, wow. They were able to do like a big, a big washout um, whilst I was there. And then they sent it, they sent the tumour off to be sure for biopsies. But then, yeah, I got diagnosed um, a few weeks later with ovarian cancer. Um, I was super lucky because they caught it earlier. I then only needed keyhole surgery. Right. And so I went in for keyhole surgery in the November. And they took biopsies from all the various sites and organs um, around where the tumour had been. Because um, my uterus and my other ovary had been completely encased in it as well. Wow. Um, so they'd removed my left ovary, but obviously they needed to biopsy everything that was, was remaining. Um, so they biopsied, uh, removed some of the lymph nodes in there, because apparently the cancer just spreads to your lymph nodes really easily. So you yeah. need to check them and get rid of them to be safe. And then, um, yeah, it was amazing. December went in to see my oncologist and all the biopsies were clear oh wow so yeah so the 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 removal of the tumor and all the washes that they'd done straight away had um, meant that I didn't need to have chemo or radiotherapy straight away um, and then I was just put on a watch and wait so up until lockdown um, I was just having scans every three months to check the remaining ovary Okay. Um, and obviously I got pregnant, so I was having scans anyway then. But yeah, before that, every every two to three months, I was having scans to check the health of everything else down there. So yeah, <laughs> it was a wow. bit of a world journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So obviously that's something that's been, that, that tumour has been going for a long time and been giving <laughs> you serious health issues for a long time. How many times did you see a GP before you actually went into the walking centre? I counted it up and it was at least six times, at least. And every time it was, it's constipation and wow. Um, yeah, the first two times I think were, oh, we think you've got a water infection. Because um, obviously that was to do with just being on the loo all the time. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was painful to go to the toilet. So, so the, I guess the symptoms that I was displaying did seem like a water infection. Um, and then the next few times after that year, it was, oh, have you, have, what have you changed in your diet? Have you got IBS? Has anybody in your family got any issues? Um, and to be fair, my, my, my sister, um, she did have some, some, some bowel issues, nothing too serious now, like she's sorted, but we were like, oh, maybe. So I tweaked around, tried taking anything gluten related out of my diet and not like nothing. And they were just adamant. It was something to do with my bowels. Right. Um, nobody even suspected anything to do with anything gynecological. So, wow. mm. so did anybody do any like feeling of your abdomen or no. like, not even not even a feel of your belly? Not until I took myself to the walking centre. No, oh, gosh. Yeah. And the, the, I think the sad thing about that is it is that you were probably obviously trying to search for answers um, and figure out what's going on, but you put so much trust and faith into these into the the gps mm -hmm. as the yeah. first port of call that they're going to pick if they're not concerned then okay i'll carry on yes um, and it's not un, until you either you understand a little bit more or if you are already the kind of person that says no i want further investigation into this i'm not happy yeah, yeah. That, 
to, to have to go to a GP six times over the course of months for the yeah. same complaint and then and then take yourself yeah. to the walking well, centre. The lady, the lady that did my surgery, the, my first lot of surgery in the end said, if you hadn't have brought yourself to the walking centre that day, you'd have got on that plane and the cabin pressure would have burst that tumour and you that could have been critical. That could have oh killed my you. gosh. As serious it was, like, it, it was just crazy now to think back and think, I can't believe that wasn't picked up. But the lady at the walking centre was very good. She felt my abdomen straight away and said, are you pregnant? And I said, no. And she said, because what I can feel feels like a five-month-old like baby of uterus. Wow. Would. And she said, you just need to go to the hospital. And I think now, in retrospect, I think she knew. She, it's just yeah. that she couldn't, that, you know, she couldn't diagnose that straight away. But I think well, she knew feeling. Yeah. 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 So if, if we were to make that experience better for for somebody else mm -hmm. what would you what would you advise anybody walking into the gp with those kind of feelings do um, have you done anything differently well, yeah since i've just literally told every female i know if you ever have any any symptoms that you feel is actually bowel related or to do with your digestive system just just take a step back and think is it actually um because obviously everything's so close in there isn't it yeah. um and i've just really pushed everybody that i know to be more pushy i guess and just say well mm, can i have a scan to prove that and can i have a blood test it was the blood test in the end that, that made everybody like oh this is serious yeah so yeah blood tests and scans and if you're not happy just push for them really yeah uh, it's a shame that we yeah it's a shame that, that these are the kind of things that you do have to to push for and trying to be taken seriously for so i'm so pleased that actually everything worked out for you but it, it's sad that it it got to that point and that, that's such a serious point um so obviously following the sur surgeries you had an ovary removed and they're like looking at the ovary that was remaining and your womb to make sure everything's okay yeah. how did that impact your journey to becoming pregnant so during that period of time when they were sort of checking up on everything with the biopsies and stuff, they, they basically said to me, um, although your bite over is there and it's intact, we can't be sure what damage we've done, basically. And we can't be sure that your periods will go back to the normal cycle or that you'll find it easy, easy to conceive. Um, it was just something they couldn't predict. It was a bit of a like wait and see type thing. Um, they also found that my uterus um, wasn't a normal shape. So like a normal shape is like wide at the top and like down triangular, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas mine is, is like heart shaped. It's a bicordate uterus, um, which basically said, and then you've got that as an added, if you do get pregnant, the baby's got less room to grow. Okay. Um, you can face lots of issues there with like blood loss um, it, and it can, it can tear easier basically. Right. Um, and you basically risking, um, your baby being disabled because of the lack of space in there. Wow. Um, so there was, like, there was loads to think about. And prior to being diagnosed with cancer, I'll be honest, babies weren't really on my radar. It was, it was my oncologist saying to me, listen, we don't, we don't usually push people down this road, but if you're going to have children, you need to think about doing it soon because in a few years, we might need to take that remaining ovary. Right. Basically, they don't want to leave it in there for too long. Um, so yeah, she was like, if you're going to do it, like think about doing it in the next couple of years. So Chris and I just decided, um, I wouldn't go back on the pill. I was scared of it anyway, but at that point, yeah. um, 
and yeah we just decided to see what what would happen um and then I fell pregnant and found out in July so it took like six just over six months wow uh, which yeah which is pretty fast in the grand scheme of things it is considering you've only got one one functioning ovary so really exactly. it's three months worth of yes. of ovulation yeah. and that's amazing yeah. oh mm. that's that, obviously that's that's a wonderful outcome um mm. but one that you probably couldn't be too sure of either I mean no. getting pregnant is always an unsure process isn't it it's like will it work well and especially when it's your first time because if you've never tried to get pregnant before if you've never been pregnant before well, no, do you, no. you, you don't know till you do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 um so that must have been like a huge yeah like, I, huge yeah, relief. Uh, I, yeah it was a relief but I didn't believe it not for weeks <laughs> I actually came out of the toilet with the test going, no, it's not, it can't be, it's wrong, it's wrong. Oh. <laughs> it's straight under the early pregnancy unit, obviously, because of previous health concerns, he classed me as high risk. And it was only at the point where I saw the heartbeat on the screen that I was like, okay, maybe it is happening. <laughs> yeah, there's a real yeah. baby in there. Definitely. So was there, obviously you mentioned you were straight into the early pregnancy unit because of your, <laughs> um, your previous. Was there yeah. any like crossover of care that happened? within that period um oh it got so messy Helen it was so so confusing because I'd already my initial surgery had happened at Whiston Hospital and then when I got diagnosed with cancer I was put on the Liverpool women's who were amazing but then because it takes a period of time for you to go under the consultant at Liverpool Women's when you're pregnant, I had to do, do all my early pregnancy stuff at Wigan, at my local hospital. So I felt like I was under like a million different people at this point. Yeah. Um, and Liverpool, what I did find was Liverpool and Whiston had always been very good at communicating about my surgeries and about my scans and what was happening. But the minute I brought more local care and pregnancy related care into it, the communication just wasn't the same. It dropped off a little bit. Um, and I think I was actually over four months pregnant by the time I went under the consultant at Liverpool. Um, and luckily, she was amazing. Dr. Castling, she's called. And she is both a, uh, a gynecology consultant and an obstetrician. Right, okay. So really knows her stuff. And yeah, and so she just sat above them all then um, and as like an umbrella and, and dictated to everybody sort of thing what <laughs> happened. So um so at the beginning no there wasn't a great crossover but then towards the end once Liverpool women's took over um it was really well planned out that's good because one of the things even if you're just pregnant um that seems to be so apparent is as soon as you become pregnant you're kind of in charge of your own health care um and you, you know you get given your own notes it's on you to sort it out it's on you to to know what you want it's on you to know the risks of absolutely everything that's going on so on you to look after yourself and obviously we have scans and we have midwife checks and if you're deemed high red um sorry high risk for whatever reason then yeah. you are under a consultant you have those additional checks but it's always very the onus is put on you to yeah. make those decisions and to look after yourself with very little actual guidance um, yeah. or information so um it's it's interesting to see how obviously you had that like real solid care before mm-hmm. you became pregnant and then yeah. there was that whole messy period of well actually this you know you, you've got everything and you should yeah you should sort it yeah. out kind of thing so yeah, exactly. it, yeah. Um, and that was, that was really scary because I then did four to five I remember when I first found out I was pregnant ringing ringing the doctor's surgery and the, and the clinic where the midwives are based 
and the health visitors and um, they, they were they were really off about it. They were like, why are you ringing now? You can only ring when you're so many weeks pregnant and you can only see one of us when you're so many weeks. And I was like, I don't know. I'm a first time mom. Um, and then there was like a bit of bleeding. And then obviously when I went to the early pregnancy unit, they were like, this can be very normal. It's fine. But again, I, di I didn't know any of that. So yeah, yeah, it was the first few months were horrific. They were really scary. Yeah, and, and things like that, like a bit of bleeding can be normal. It can be, it can mean nothing, but it can also be extremely serious. <laughs> yeah. So to give mums those two messages of you might have some spotting, you might have some bleeding, it's just implantation bleeding, don't worry about it. But then also it could be a miscarriage and you could be losing your baby. How, how are you supposed to know which is yeah, which? So if you, you've not done it before, can you? Exactly. And even if it's your fifth baby, you know, you mm. don't know what's going on. So to be to be able to go in and receive that care with a it's it's okay if it's we'd rather you come in and it's nothing um yeah. kind of attitude rather than oh what are you worrying for yeah. <laughs> kind of thing um and I'm sure because it was there was everything was fine that that's the kind of approach they took and if it was something more serious they'd have been you know you were, did the right thing to come in but if that was to happen again you know if you were to bleed a little bit later on Mm -hmm. How would that affect your, you know, how would that affect what you did about would that? You whether you just take yourself in or, yeah. Exactly. You think, oh, I went in about this last time and it was normal. So I won't mm -hmm. bother going in this time. Or do you, you know, take that same level of, of caution again? Um, and I think the trickiest thing about advising women to do anything throughout pregnancy is that every woman's pregnancy is so unique, even for the same women that one pregnancy is totally different from another. So it's really difficult to say this is what you should do. Um, yeah. But I think there are a lot of gaps, certainly yeah. a lot of gaps, especially when you're under the care of two different hospitals or two different people. Um, yeah. Each hospital and each region and each, even each doctor's surgery has their own procedures and their own ways of managing things. Yeah. So if you were to move during your pregnancy or have your care moved, yeah. then you, know, you could be facing a whole different set of procedures that can just really confusing can't it if you're already confused yeah, by it yeah yeah so throughout all of this throughout um your treatment before you were pregnant and um the time in, in between trying to conceive and through your pregnancy was mm -hmm. your general health and your fitness in particular ever discussed with any of your professionals um no no not not to any extent so i remember when I was recovering from surgery, so prior to getting pregnant, um, I remember telling one of the oncology team, it, it wasn't the consultant, but it was one of the team, um, that, I did, that I did CrossFit. And I remember saying, have you any idea when, when I'm meant to go back to the gym? Like, how long should I be leaving this after surgery? Yeah. Um, and they sort of just rolled their eyes at me and was like... I don't know whether it was that they couldn't give me an answer or they were like yeah get get real do you know what I mean like you're not going right. back to that time soon yeah and so one of the advice was some of the advice was if you end up needing chemo off the back of this you shouldn't be going to the gym at all like you shouldn't be doing anything like that and then it was only when I came away and like read around it I was like that's actually not right like again everybody's individual and although some people might not be able to go to the gym might not be able to train other people actually have really benefited from training through chemo or any other treatment so yeah there was a lot of mixed messages about the fitness side of it but health wise 
no not, nothing at all right and not during your pregnancy no one asked like what uh so same again they um i just i just meant these they said like are you healthy and fit and uh, do you exercise so they did they did specifically ask if i like was doing any sort of exercise so again i said yeah um i do like crossfit training for generally four to five times a week um and my plan is to just see how that goes and see how my body responds um and change it as necessary yeah um and the message was sort of just like okay yeah just crack on with whatever you were doing before pregnancy which okay in one breath is like it's lovely carry on training that's fine but then in the next breath i soon realized that it's not a case of just doing exactly the same um because you've got pregnant like you, your body is now different and needs different things so yeah there's a lot of mixed messages around it isn't there there is massively um did you feel like you're in like a bit of a privileged position with what you knew about training and what you knew about fitness and health to be able to manage that yourself yes definitely i think had i sort of so previous to crossfit i was sort of one of these that just like wandered around a commercial gym and might have like jumped on the odd body pump class or something i think if i'd have been in that same state um i would just not have gone anywhere near the gym out of fear i wouldn't have known what to do for the best so yeah definitely like the the training experience and the coaching experience since um i knew to just modify it for myself but um I did sit there and think if this was anybody else without that experience, this could be a really confusing time period for them. Yeah. So um, throughout the, again, throughout the treatment that you had and um, the, your recovery period and throughout your pregnancy, was you, did you receive any like um, advice on the health of your, your pelvic floor and your pelvic region in terms of like function, recovery treatment anything like that was any of that discussed um no but barely i remember towards the end well no from the beginning um you they sort of emphasize don't they how important your pelvic floor exercises are yeah um, and i remember going away and then i remember saying to chris i don't even know if i, I felt like i should know how to do them because I trained and I was a coach and I was like this is something I should know how to do but I don't know if I'm doing them right so and the only thing I had to do was to go on Google and like you YouTube it um so I had a little look round and did what I thought was was right um but I remember thinking afterwards how beneficial would it have been for somebody to just have like a model of something and just show me what what should be happening down there because I think I was doing some of it right, but definitely wasn't doing it. It was only once I'd started speaking to you and working with you and realizing how closely connected your breathing is and that I actually realized that I'd been doing a lot of the contracting stuff, but nowhere near enough of the relaxing it and being aware of it as well. So, um, yeah, that was, that wasn't covered in anywhere near enough detail, I don't think. And I think that's pretty consistent. I've got a lot of friends that are pregnant and, and I know that that's like a frequent discussion, like, um, do you know how, whether you're doing your pelvic floor exercises, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, that's a very consistent thing. It is. It's really common. The amount of, of other clients I've had where I've said, and it's one of the, the fir very first questions I always ask any of my pregnant or postnatal clients is, are you doing any pelvic floor exercises at the minute? And if you are, what are they? Yeah, and the amount of times I get back, um, no, because I don't really, I'm not really sure what I should. Do. Like, so when your midwife has said, "Are you doing your pelvic floor exercises?" What did you say? I said yes, and then I left it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, and that's um, and this, this is something that 
again is is such a huge part of of this whole um the mum strong movement and this this the advice that we're getting out there is the yeah. importance of actually explaining that properly it takes two minutes to explain um it takes two minutes to to show somebody how to do the pelvic floor exercises properly um but that time isn't taken and whether that knowledge is actually known by you know midwives yeah. and and um those people within maternal health care um yeah. to be able to give that give pregnant women and postnatal women that actual real advice um yeah. and like you said as well it's all about are you doing your exercises you need to strengthen it you need to strengthen it whereas <laughs> actually for for just the same amount of women who struggle with having a weak pelvic floor they struggle with an overactive pelvic floor um that has many of the same symptoms and mm -hmm can't you know it's, it's something that you wouldn't know unless somebody sat down and spoke to you about it yes like, definitely like you've experienced yourself so that um i think that that's another huge like gulf in information mm -hmm. that's so easily fixed um yeah. and yeah. has such huge beneficial impact mm -hmm. to the the health and the recovery and the birth experiences and journeys that women go on yeah it just can be so easily fixed and particularly if you've had um gynecological issues previously yeah that you know we know that that those kind of things and obviously like the tumor being sat there putting pressure on your pelvic organs on your bladder on your your womb obviously the pressure on your bowel as well but that, the pressure that puts on your pelvic floor um yeah. so do you feel like some of the um experience you had in relearning these pelvic floor exercises and learning how to relax your pelvic floor do you think that was maybe just like a natural thing that you did or could it possibly be have a a leftover symptom from trying to manage having yeah, that yeah i definitely think it was a leftover symptom because it had got to the point where there was so much pressure on the bladder that I couldn't I couldn't go an hour without going to the toilet now obviously that's not realistic in real life when you're working sometimes you do have to hold it so I Definitely think not as a primary school teacher I know <laughs> I think my pelvic floor had got I had just got used to just just being overactive and just just trying to do its best to hold everything in there definitely yeah yeah um, and then granted how quickly everything happened afterwards my my body probably hadn't quite recovered from from the tumor and then two surgeries and then bam i was pregnant so yeah i think everything was a bit of a, a knock-on effect really yeah and 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 rightly so everything does have a knock-on effect everything that we experience has has an effect on the next thing that we experience and, and the things previous to it and if the things that you experience are constant um pelvic and gynecological related yeah. then it's it would seem it would seem a natural progression for you to see someone like a pelvic health physiotherapist yeah Definitely. as part of your your recovery and your treatment um yeah which is also a common theme of of not being able to access that kind of help even just yeah. if you've got like a, a low risk and you know a, a very i'm going to say easy birth no birth is easy but a, no. a, a least complicated birth and, and postnatal recovery it's still something that is hugely beneficial so to know that you've been through much more than that and still not yeah. being offered that level of healthcare is quite upsetting. And it's not, is it? It's not even mentioned. Um, I mean, obviously lockdown happened, but uh, and this is the case for a lot of women. My plan was that I was going to need to go and pay privately to go and see a specialist physio just to have those checks done and just to get that advice, really. And obviously, um, lockdowns happened, so that that hasn't happened yet. Um, 
it will happen in the future but I just think it's a real shame that that's not just a natural service that's 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 opened up to women following say the six weeks check or do you know yeah so yeah it is a shame definitely uh, yeah. but I even remember like besides my pelvic floor there was other symptoms towards the very end which I'm sure most women get like pains in in my pelvis and my hips and my back um and again I don't know whether it's a lack of knowledge on their behalf or just whether they take for granted that we would know what to do about it but I was just told if it got any worse that I need to wear um a support belt um and, and that was it really there wasn't like oh you could do these strengthening exercises or you could do these stretches there wasn't anything like that um and it's only after giving birth and obviously speaking to you and reading a lot more about it that I've thought, oh, actually, there's, there's a wealth of information out there that just isn't provided to women. Yeah, absolutely. And I think perhaps what's influencing that path of, of advice is, or what the overriding message is, is it's just normal in pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's normal to have pelvic pain. It's normal for your back to hurt. It's normal for your joints to feel funny. It's normal mm-hmm. for you to feel like you constantly need a wee. It's normal for you to wet yourself towards the end. Like those things yeah. aren't, they're not normal. They're common. They I mean, happen yeah. in a lot of pregnancies. A lot of women experience them, but it's not a normal state for your body. And like you said, there is so much more, so much available to help with those things um obviously one of those things is being as fit and as strong as possible um but even below that there is physiotherapy help available there are ways of moving and there are things to learn about your own body Mm -hmm. that can make the world of difference um and particularly if you are somebody that enjoys exercising if you're not someone who's like totally read up on the benefits of, of strength and fitness and have, a, have a, aligned that with your pregnancy journey and a, you know someone who reads into it if you're just a general gym goer but you enjoy going out or if you enjoy going for a run and things like that and then then you start to experience those symptoms like pelvic pain or incontinence or back pain and it yeah. just stops you in your tracks it's you just think well that's it I can't do what I want to do yeah I mean you and I both know how um like how much that can affect your your mindset like your mental health your mental well-being having that part of you taken away and not being able to do the things that you enjoy and feeling like you've now completely lost control of your own body that it's not yours anymore and to see that women go from they do think this thing that they love to not being able to do anything because they've been told oh it's just normal just stop what you're doing yeah Um, yeah it's such a shame it's it's such a shame when that doesn't yeah. need to be the outcome no. and it's it's a case of that shifting or well, how about you go and find somebody or we've got some um contacts of some people some women who can help you physiotherapists coaches yeah. trainers people like that who can yeah. find a way to some help you manage those symptoms yeah, yeah. yeah and keep you moving and keep you enjoying it yeah so um how did your like mindset train to what uh, changed throughout your pregnancy in terms of your training did you find it quite an easy shift or was it something that took a while to get get used to um I think we we found out I was pregnant really really early so I think at first obviously it goes back to like the disbelief I guess but the first trimester I was just terrified um I think because they'd sort of classed me as high risk and put me under the early pregnancy unit um I was just even with my own background and my own knowledge I was like what do I need to take out straight away what do I need to not be doing um 
and I, I carried on training all the way through, but I was very early to take out any jumping movements or um, any gymnastic movements of any sort, way, way before I had a bump. Um, and looking back now, it was all fear. I don't necessarily think that my body needed me to do that. It was all, it was all mental. Um, yeah. And then as a result, I think I probably spent a few weeks like, oh, this is rubbish. Like, I didn't feel like me for a while because because yeah. I couldn't do the things that I was used to doing in the gym. Um, but then I would say I, once I'd started to really accept the pregnancy was happening and baby was okay and everything eased off. Um, yeah, I really found my feet with training and that into my second trimester was the point where I started to do a lot more reading and research about it. Um, and yeah, because of the fascination with it, I just really started to enjoy myself a lot more. And I think you've talked about this before, but I almost started to enjoy it because there was no pressure of like a leaderboard or there was nobody trying to compete with me anymore because I was pregnant or, um, yeah, it was just nice to go at my own pace for a little while and, and focus on things which I probably would have neglected otherwise. Like I'm, I'm, I'm quite badly neglecting my strict strength at times. So it was nice to just do some low impact stuff and, and more of the strength training rather than just going hard on an intensity workout, or, do you know? Yeah. So yeah, it was nice to switch it up a little bit towards the end and I did end up really enjoying it. Um, but I remember there was a lot of confusion. Like certain people would tell me that I wasn't allowed to put my heart rate above a certain um, amount of beats per minute. And then other people would say, oh, no, that's fine. That's old. That's old information. And then people would say, you've got to stick between 60 to 70 percent of your one rep maxes. And then other people would say, no, it's just it just depends on how you feel that day. So it did take take a lot, a lot of reading um, to become comfortable with training during pregnancy. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's um, something else that. Like you said, if you go, if you do read, if you do research, there's a lot of information about there, but there is a lot of conflicting information. Yeah. It takes for someone who's just trying to sort themselves out, their own training out while they're pregnant. It's a lot of information to keep up to date on, to actually understand um, and to know you're looking at the right things. Are you, are you interpreting, interpreting it in the right way? Does it apply to you? Um, so, and it seems everybody does have an opinion yeah um, as soon as you're pregnant you're you're open game i think as everybody else is, is concerned the way you look the way your bump looks what you're doing how what you should be doing is absolutely like just a free for all on, on everybody's comments which is i'm not going to get into, <laughs> into. Yeah. um I, it drove me insane um which i'm sure it drove you insane as well but if you're somebody who again who isn't want to like look into that or have a, a background in in that kind of knowledge and to be faced with no you shouldn't get your heart rate above 140 actually that's fine well what do you do are you going to bother are you going to are you going to do that are you going to be frightened about it you know and being told oh to see how you feel on the day versus you should always stick at a certain percentage is that is that right for you is that right for where you are at, right, right now in your pregnancy does that does that count or is that advice true as your pregnancy progresses um yeah you know it's 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 that kind of information that you know you get told one statement and it can stick with you um yeah. and i think that's what's um very confusing um but also quite dangerous about advising um the pre pregnant women and postnatal women women on how they should approach be approaching their training which yeah. is even more so why it should be coming from the people who you trust most, your healthcare professionals. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, 
or at least from a, a, an individual who's your healthcare professional is pointing you towards and not just the guy next to you in the gym whose wife has been <laughs> pregnant once and yeah. isn't you and isn't your pregnancy. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's even though that, that information is out there, actually making sense of it can be... It's a minefield. It yeah. is a huge minefield and can be enough to just turn you off it again completely. And like you say, that any general gym goer will just go too confusing I'm just going to not just to make sure I don't take any risks it's just easier to not do any of those things at all and than yeah. it is to read around everything like you say yeah yeah definitely so going um obviously you had your little baby girl <laughs> <laughs> very briefly um you can dive into this as far as extensively as you'd like to how was that how was that experience for you um what I thought it would be um I'd sort of done and again this goes back to the breathing thing like I had no idea how important breathing is until I gave birth um I'd done a bit of like hypnobirthing whilst I was pregnant and done some reading and some online courses around that um which delved into it but it's only actually when you're in labor that you realize that that your breathing is really important um yeah labor was interesting so I was at the gym on the Saturday so at this point I was 38 weeks and five days so we were amazed that we'd even made it to that point to be honest because all along we were told that there was a slight chance she would come very early because of the uterus yeah and so we were thrilled when we got past 37 weeks so yeah 38 weeks and five days and I was at the gym I was on a rower and the waters went Wow. Um, (laughs) so it was sort of like this is actually happening um rushed home, rang the hospital, and then nothing, nothing came of it. They, they took me in that day for checks, um, but no contraction started, no pains, nothing. And so they gave me 24 hours, and then they had to induce me for her safety. So I went in the next day, um, was induced around three o'clock. Um, contraction, contraction started at 4 p.m., and she was with us by 20 past 10. So wow. it was all fast. <laughs> so what kind of induction was yours? It was a pessary. Just a pessary. Yeah. And it all just happened really oh, fast. Um, yeah. And she was, it was, it was as straightforward as I imagine it can be. Gas and her, natural delivery. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, no complaints really, other than the, the intenseness that everybody yeah. experienced. <laughs> yeah. Under the, other than the experience of childbirth and then yeah. a huge yeah. shift in your life and who you are as a person that follows. Oh, yeah yeah so how did your um your recovery go how was your did you have a plan for your recovery before you had um before you went into labor did you kind of yeah so I, I always knew that I would um do the usual take it easy for six to eight weeks afterwards um I think by that point by the end of my pregnancy, I'd got very good at reading my own body and knowing what was right for me and knowing if I woke up on a certain day and I wasn't feeling it or I had a particular pain to just leave it. Um, so I'd got very good at that. Um, so I had no qualms about easing off for a little while. So yeah, I knew that I was going to take it easy for sort of six weeks and see how the healing went. And then in my mind, I was going to have my six week check with the GP and then I was going to go to uh, women's health physio and they were gonna tell me what what was good what I needed to work on and I would have taken my training from there yeah. obviously lockdown happened <laughs> yeah 
Um, and oh, it was just so scary. The postnatal period then was was frightening because you I was literally just left alone. I had the first two weeks of midwife and health visitor um visits. Yeah. Where they checked to see whether I was healing okay. Um and then after the second week, obviously there was just nothing. Um the, my next health visitor um communication was a phone call about six weeks and the GP was basically refusing to do any any postnatal checkups at all at all uh, at all and so I've still at this moment in time not not been seen by a GP um the only thing they did do was ask me some maternal mental health questions over the phone um and yeah that was it really it was like oh your mental health's okay that that's fine um yeah you, I your, your body might be falling whether, apart but yeah, <laughs> I asked whether I could um have the, the physical check um and they basically just said, you know, due to COVID and due to lockdown, we've minimised our services significantly and that's not on offer at the moment. And they just said, do you have any, any major concerns? Are you in any pain? And because my answer was no, it was like, oh, well, you okay then? Uh, so yeah, uh, even though I took Evelyn in to have her injections, the same day that I'd spoken to the doctors on the phone, there was there was just no opportunity to be. So even though you were there in person yeah. and yeah. potentially com- contaminating the surgery anyway, they still didn't yeah. want to speak to you in person. No. So, oh. Yeah, that was pretty rubbish. Um, and added to that, I am obviously meant to have regular scans on my ovary, and I was meant to have one six weeks after giving birth. Yeah. Um, now fifteen weeks old, and and again, still nothing because because all the services are minimised. So, from both a, mater- a postnatal and a gynaecological respect, um, I've missed quite a lot of appointments already. Yeah, um, and how's I mean, that? How's that make you feel? Uh, worried. Not so much about the postnatal stuff because obviously, um, I reached out to you, and 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 we've been doing a lot of work together, and and. Although I still will go and see um, a women's health physio, yeah. um, I feel like that's given me the confidence to focus on any symptoms that I might be experiencing and sort of rein it in on the days that I might need to yeah. um, and tweak things. But um, from the gynecological perspective, that's much more worrying for me because I know that that tumour previously was growing for probably months yeah. before. Um, so now it's like, well, she's now nearly four months old. So how do I know that there's nothing going on in there yeah. um, so yeah that's scary definitely have you had any inclination of, of when they might be willing um, to see you again have they well, sent you any confirmations they've just no they've they've not given any dates on it they've obviously just said um there will be a slight backlog once services resume again um and i i completely understand there are people that are sort of much more in need than i am like there are cancer patients there that have been stopped having chemo and they, they need to get back underway with their treatment first. Um, so it's just a priority basis. So as soon as services resume properly, I'll just be put on a waiting list. Yeah. And, and you can understand, obviously, that the NHS is under immense pressure at the minute. Um, and we're trying to minimise contact and interaction with other people. But there's potentially life-threatening yeah. issues here that many women aren't getting the care that they need and to be in a um a state where women's health care is already less of a priority Mm -hmm. 
generally to see it down prioritized so drastically yeah. is um it, it it's beyond belief really that yeah. that the state of women's health care can be so put on the back burner so readily yeah um, definitely it's, it's like you say like, even under normal circumstances you go from being pregnant and you have all these appointments and all these people want to see you and they're all giving you the advice of what to do and then suddenly the only thing that matters is the baby and you're yeah. sort of just pushed to one side and obviously I'm made up that she's had all her injections and she's been seen and and she's fine but I don't I think we should still take the same priority as, as what the baby does um, for a long time after. yeah absolutely and again it's that the onus is on is on you isn't it to to take charge of your own health care you know they, yeah. they're, they're not coming and saying we we're going to check you for any pelvic floor dysfunction we're going to talk to you about um anything that you might be experiencing we're going to make sure that you're recovering well it's a if you don't feel right or if if you're in pain um yeah. or if you experience something bad then come and let us know but yeah so the onus is not only on you but also that kind of the confidence level in being taken seriously or having anything happen can really knock your confidence in in approaching them in the first place um obviously you're in a position where you've had a relatively straightforward birth and postnatal recovery mm -hmm. you've reached out to other professionals who are able to yeah. help you at this time and you you know you've been really proactive in, in doing your own research and looking after yourself but i'm sure there are many many new mums out there who are experiencing like consistent incontinence or pelvic pain or their babies are six months old and they've still not been able to have full intercourse with their partner and experience that intimacy with them because they're experiencing these these symptoms and this pain who are being told it's either normal because you've had a baby to deal yeah. with it um, yeah. or if you've got the confidence to come and talk to a stranger about those problems you're having then we're here and we might listen yeah. to you um, but you've got to be the person to make that first step you've got to come and tell me it hurts when I have sex which yeah. is not something I imagine many women are yeah ready, <laughs> readily willing yeah, to yeah. do yeah. um like particularly you say, the, the onus is on you how do you know I, I wouldn't have known I don't know what level of heaviness or pain or how long that should go on for because it was the first time I'd ever given birth and like and then like you say even if I was to go and have a second baby the birth could be completely different so the onus is on you without actually having the right information to put that onus on you isn't it yeah yeah absolutely um and like you've mentioned you know if you go and do the reading and if you go and do the research but you'll just get told face to face welcome to motherhood yeah. oh you <laughs> you, you, you had to stop and sit down for a while because you thought you're going to wet yourself welcome to be a mum well yeah. actually that's 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 not right <laughs> there are things we can do about it yeah, yeah. absolutely there are things you can do about it and the things that these are just so simple things that it just it takes minutes to explain even yeah. over the phone you don't need a face-to-face -face check to explain yeah. most of these things i'll be pointed in the right direction or to be given the kind of reassurance or ask the right kinds of questions that are going to help women explore yeah. these things for themselves if that's the yeah. way you want to do it put the onus on the woman at least give her like you said the right information the right guidance to be able to yeah. do that yeah. great um i feel like this has been a whole conversation about how we've been let down by, <laughs> or how you've been let down by the by healthcare in the uk but i think that's what i say i think that is it's absolutely why 
I've been having these conversations and why I've started this podcast and why this is so important. Um, in no way, shape or form am I, am I saying that the, the healthcare within system is awful because no. it's wonderful. It's yeah. absolutely amazing that we've got access to the NHS and that it, you know, it's a wonderful thing and it should continue, but it should be better. It should be funded better and the information given should be better um, and that's oh. exactly it. I think like the professionals that we deal with like the midwives and the health visitors and the consultants um, I think I'd want, want to second that because every professional I've dealt with individually has been amazing yes. um, especially given my very complicated background um, however it's the funding isn't it that's the issue like you say it's the funding and the time that and yeah can, and the training that's available come in and see you or ring you that they're just they're just rushed off the feet aren't they so yeah it's the time to sit down and explain those things to you that they need and, and like you say that comes from more funding and, and higher levels of staff i imagine yeah um, so yeah i'm yeah it sounds very nice it's been a very negative one but yeah i'm with you i love the nhs my sister works for the nhs as well so um yeah, I'm, I'm very, very grateful of them in 2018. Um, yeah. And it's awful when you've got to say negative things about them, but it, without without the negative connotations on it, no change is going to happen, is it? So Absolutely. And there's so much room and scope for change. Um, yeah. That, yeah, unfortunately, it does lead to us shining a bit of a neg negative light on it. But yeah, yeah just, just to be clear, we are both very, very grateful <laughs> for the NHS. Where did they do? Um, yeah. So to finish up, we're going to finish off with um, our podcast features, um, our finishing features. So the first feature that we've got is our I wish I'd have known. And this is something that I like to ask uh, my guests and um, have these conversations. And it can be as lighthearted or as serious as, light as you like. But have you prepared an I wish I'd have known? Yeah, um, I've got two. Is that really yeah. good? Go one's for it. quite serious and one's, one's a bit more lighthearted. <laughs> um, so... The, the the serious one that really shocked me, I wasn't ready for. I was ready for my tummy being in a bit of pain. Obviously, my private parts not feeling great. Was not ready for joint pain. That really took me by surprise. But the amount of times after I'd given birth, I thought, why are my knees so sore? Why do my wrists hurt? Like, just random parts of my body. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so I wasn't prepared for that. Obviously, it is, like, hormonal and what it's done to your joints and your ligaments and stuff. Being but, sat um, down 24-7. Yeah, holding a baby all the time, <laughs> yeah. So I wish I'd known Max. I think I'd have done some work on, like, stretching those areas out a little bit more in the beginning. But, um, yeah, that took me by surprise. And the other one... This is a good tip for anybody about to be a mum, I think. Um, just order yourself some meal prep services. Oh, my oh, gosh. There's no time to prepare food, is there? I wish no. I'd have known you don't eat. <laughs> yeah, and, and they always say, oh, you, you know, you're a mum, you'll never eat a warm meal again. But so um, Sam, my husband, his dad is a restaurant owner. Right. And for the first, like, I think he managed to get us about two months worth of food so first of all they they made us a load and then he just went to the kit their kitchens and brought us loads of their restaurant food and without that we wouldn't have eaten no no just well, wouldn't I, have eaten. I was very lucky because Chris for the first two weeks obviously was on paternity leave and he cooked every single meal breakfast lunch and tea every day and then he went back to work and I was like how do people look after a baby and eat at the same yeah. time <laughs> Yeah, so I was the same. Meal preps, and that, that, that's still where we're at. We we have our, all yeah. our food 
<laughs> great I mean whatever works for you I tried to do some meal prepping of, of my own before I had the boys um yeah. so we had a bit in but there was no way I could have done it as much as we needed last was, year. no no but we haven't got a freezer big enough for us I don't know where to put it but yeah that's a huge tip that is a really really good tip let somebody else worry about the cooking make yeah, sure you eat enough definitely. Yeah. Um, and finally so we've finished um, we round out every podcast with promoting a petition or a charity or an organisation that's working towards the same ends that we are and fighting that same fight and improving women's health care, particularly maternal health care. Do you have a particular um, one that you would like to share with us and for us to, to promote? Yes, please. Um, yeah. This is going to come as no surprise. It's Liverpool Women's Hospitals Charity. So they've got their own charity fund set up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, their primary mission is to provide equipment and services that go above and beyond what the NHS can provide um, wow. ordinarily. So obviously it covers a lot of things, neonatal, um, infant bereavement, counselling services, even down to little things like making sure that if a mum needs it, they go home with a breast pump or, yeah. um, you know, just the little things that, that matter in those early days when, you, when you're very unsure and it's all a bit scary. Um, mm. And then over to really big, serious things like um, funding research. They work very closely as well with a, a charity called Target Ovarian Cancer. And we've got close links with them. So a lot of their funding is, is linked to them um, for lots of research purposes. So, yeah, charity very, very close to our hearts here. Um, yeah. So if you want, I could send you the, the link over to their page in case anybody would like to read on what they do and perhaps donate or, or Absolutely. Yeah, we'll get the, um, the link to Liverpool Women's um, Hospital Charity. Yeah. Uh, we'll get that in the podcast notes so that we can go in and support the wonderful work that they're doing and like I said even if it's just reading up on what they're doing um and and finding out if you can spare any small amount of money um and and donate and help them out that would be absolutely wonderful I'm I'm sure they'd be incredibly grateful for that um yeah so we'll definitely share that that's that's fantastic thank you Nicola no worries great so thank you so much for your time today Nicola um I really really enjoyed that that conversation it's been wonderful to find out a bit more about you as well and and just to sit and have this chat, this chat with you um most of our conversations are about Helen am I doing this exercise right uh, <laughs> Can, can you watch this video i don't know if i'm making an idiot of myself and then it, you never are it's always wonderful um, so it's been wonderful to have such a wonderful conversation with you as well oh, thank you <laughs> so yes yeah, so thank you for joining us um, and thank you for everybody that's listening don't forget to go and check out liverpool women's hospital charity check out the work that they're doing um and share this wonderful conversation that we've had to educate more women and bring up more of this wonderful advice and guidance into their lives oh, thank you Bye.